0: Theater is about storytelling, but it is way more about affecting a community, building empathy, and making people see the world and each other differently and, and learning how to participate in the world with critical thought and love kind of at the center.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Captain Lawson, and this is the Longleaf Pod, where I talk to people who are adding value to communities across North Carolina. In this episode, I'm talking with Patrick Torres, the Artistic Director at Raleigh Little Theater. In this episode, we talk about theater as a community experience, the social need for art and ritual, and the surprising relevance of Shakespeare's Othello. Enjoy the show. All right, Patrick, thanks so much for talking with me today.
0: Thanks for having me, Catherine.
1: Absolutely. So you have been the Artistic Director of Raleigh Little Theater for, is it heading on five years now?
0: It'll be five years in August, yeah.
1: So tell me about what kind of the day-to-day of being an artistic director here looks like.
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's it really is a dream job. It's, it's the job that I um, kind of always aspired to as a, as a theater maker is to be in control of the kind of the artistic side of an institution. And, um, you know, and so uh, I get to do that every day. And really what that entails is uh, just kind of overseeing all of the artistic and educational uh, programs and the things that we offer to the community here. So I choose the shows that go in the season. Um, you know, we do have a, an outstanding director of education named Meredith Peterson. We've got great people on the production side um, of stuff here. And so I have a lot of help. But um, yeah, so uh, I kind of help vision what the artistic programming looks like and what the educational programming looks like. And that fits really well. And when I say it's a dream job, it really is because it kind of married two of my passions and one is the art of theater. I really love, but I also spent much of my career in theater education before, um, you know, becoming a full-time artistic director. So it really does kind of marry these, these two passions of mine. And on a day to day, Basis, it's like uh, making sure that we're staying on budget, uh, keeping uh, productions moving so that they open when they when the uh, date comes that they're supposed to open, um, and then also just you know uh, building strategy for what kinds of educational opportunities to offer uh, the community. So we have classes here from ages two through adulthood. So uh, there's a, there's a lot to talk about day to day and to to think through as we uh, continue to try to serve the.
1: So you mentioned that it's kind of the perfect fulfillment of your two passions for both, you know, art and also, but also education. Where did those passions mm-hmm. come from?
0: Well, you know, I grew up in West Texas, um, in Odessa, Texas, actually, which is the uh, town that is the basis of the sociology book, Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. And that book inspired the movie and the television series. So I was a football player. And uh, <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. I, I thought that I wanted to be a football coach. Um, that's all I thought about was football for a long time. And then when I was in eighth grade, I saw my big brother star in a play called The Doctor in Spite of Himself, uh, played by Beaumarchais as a French playwright. And it was so funny and so exciting. And I was a little bit starstruck by my brother. You know, just the, the feeling in the audience that night, the kind of this communal laughter, just this energy I just kind of got hooked and I continued to play football, but then like, I just couldn't stop uh, going to the drama club. And so my mm-hmm. junior year, I quit football, which was uh heresy in my hometown <laughs> um, and went over to the theater department. Cause I just, there was just something about the the energy and the kind of, I don't know, just there was something that sparked inside of me that I thought if, if, if a community of people can come together and have this common experience that's pretty exciting. And I was just kind of addicted to the, to that moment. But then it was like later on in my training, uh, particularly when I got to grad school, where I really started to see theater as more of a social tool. And, and that changed kind of my perception of what theater is uh, when that happened.
1: Mm, how so?
0: Well, you know, I was doing a research project. And, you know, we were, as you know, Graduate school directors, we were to look around the world and kind of just, just look at different theater companies and the way different theater companies operated. As we were, we were asking this question in this graduate seminar class that was why theater? Why do we do theater? What's the point? Um, and so I started to look into this company, uh, that was running out of Honduras. And what was great about them is that they, um, were run by Jesuit priests. And the whole reason that they existed was because the literacy rate was very, very high in Honduras at the time. And so all of these governmental laws were being passed um, on the citizens who couldn't read the laws, so they didn't understand what was going on, and they were being manipulated by the government. And mm-hmm. so this theater uh, run by these priests popped up and it was called the Forge Theater. And they popped up and what they would do is they would go and they would spend week long residencies in each community and they would put on shows and they would, they might do like a show by Shakespeare, but they would adapt it so that it would be uh, really relevant to Honduran audiences. But also during the day, during that week, they would teach people to read and they would read them these laws and talk about what, what, what the actual implications of the laws were. And I was like, oh my gosh, like... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know theater could do that. And in that research, I ran across this book called Theater of the Oppressed, which was written by Augusto Boal, kind of also like inspired was like partners with um, pedagogy of the oppressed. And I, I checked that book out of the library because the Forge Theater said that that inspired them. And I just remember like sitting down and I think I was late on my research paper because I just read that entire book in one sitting <laughs> and didn't write anything because I was mm-hmm. just so fascinated. Um, by the idea that theater could be social. I mean, the kind of basic mm-hmm. tenet of that book and what Augusto Boal was up to, he was saying, we oftentimes ask audiences to be passive, um, to sit and watch and not engage. And so he would create plays that stopped at the moment of choice for a character or a climax. And he would invite audience to offer their suggestions on what the character should do. Oh, wow. And then eventually people just started getting up out of the audience and acting on stage what they thought would happen. <laughs> And it was just became this way of this community dialogue that was kind of this eye opening moment for me of feeling like, oh, theater is is entertainment. And sometimes just pure entertainment is so important and valuable for a community, but it can also be used to to help people have a new perspective on life, build empathy, find courage to stand up for something. Yeah. And so ever since then, that's just kind of been for me. I can't separate theater from kind of its social purpose.
1: Hmm. That's so interesting like the idea that we can take these stories in the particular kind of play format, theater format and use it as a as a bonding experience within the community. I'm curious mm-hmm. when you know the the way that media broadly is going right now, everything that we hear is how there are no more kind of shared cultural artistic experiences. Yeah, we might kind of see what's happening at the Oscars, but like nobody really will have seen anything there except for Black Panther, which was awesome. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it was.
1: (laughs) But half the other ones won't be known. (laughs) You know, TV keeps getting more and more niched. Our social media gets more and more niched. And so how do you approach kind of in this increasingly fractionalized and kind of distracted media state that we live in? work on developing more of kind of a community consciousness when it comes to working um, as your in your work as artistic director?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I think that we are all of us who are theater makers, we are on that journey of adapting to the world that we live in and the way that things are becoming so segmented and individualist. Um, but I think that we carry the banner of being a place where ritual still exists and where um, as an art form, it, it matters that people are in the same room. You know, I love film. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all art form, well, really, but uh, I love film. But there's just something about the theater that's, you know, when you are sitting in the same room with performers, you know, you that they can affect the way that you're breathing, right? There was a study a couple of years ago, and I wish I, I knew the source. I'm sorry that I don't off the top of my head, but it was in England. And they, they hooked people up in an audience to heart monitors. And they found that during performances, that heartbeats synced up. Oh, wow. As, they were, as people were watching. And so that is like remarkable this idea that like we can come together we can come and experience something together and have a unifying experience um, when maybe not always unifying I, I think it's good that when it provokes when theater provokes and Causes some debate. I think that's good, but that the fact that your heart rate can be affected along with your neighbor Mm -hmm. is really an exciting thing. And so, I do think that as things get more and more individualized, and we have you know these these niche kind of things that are happening all around us, I think theater is an art form that really it's ancient, but it is also now feels pretty unique. Uh, We ask you to turn a phone off. We ask you to like deal with the reactions of your neighbor to be in a room together. Having an experience and that's hard. I mean, it's hard in the world right now to combat the fact that I can just sit in my living room and have all the entertainment I want at my fingertips, you know, and be (laughs) comfy and snack and be in my pajamas. We're asking people to to make plans and come meet someone here and and sit in the theater and spend some time with us. And I think the way that we try to um, entice people into that is that we, we really try to put on plays that we hope will be a start interesting dialogue for me. Because I can't separate like like from that moment in grad school when I found out about theater of the oppressed and just this idea that theater could be so much more um, than just um, entertainment. It's important for me as the artistic director that we're always choosing scripts that are speaking to who we are as people right now. And I believe that classic plays can do that. And I believe contemporary plays are doing that. And so it really is about finding a balance, you know, of what we think the audience will be interested in. But even in a comedy, it's always important for me to think, well, what what is this play trying to say about who we are as human beings now? What insight can we gain from revisiting this classic? And and, and I'm hopeful that when things are relevant and uh, provoking and interesting, that that compels people to get out of that individualistic place and to come in to experience something.
1: I love that idea of introducing ritual into even the way that we experience art and how theater does that. You're right. In a very unique way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Tons of discussion I feel happening right now around you know ritual and routine and the ways that we set apart certain spaces and moments in our very busy frenetic lives to reflect or to be present and to be with people and that's a really beautiful way I think of expressing um, what you've just expressed with theater Mm. you know in reading you know the theater of the oppressed and learning all of these things in grad school was that also what piqued your passion for education or was there a different moment that kind of connected those Kind of two things
0: for you yeah um, that, uh, well, I always wanted to be I always fancied myself like someone who would be like a teacher, right? like so when I was playing football, mm-hmm. I figured I was not good enough to ever really play football. <laughs> and so you know, as a kid, I thought, you know what I want to do is I want to be a coach mm-hmm. And I also grew up with my father saying that he wished he had gone into teaching and 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 my parents mm-hmm. made me respect teachers and the role of teachers in your life, it was like, you know, uh, them and then my teachers. (laughs) Like, so I've just, I just grew up with this (laughs) deep respect for teachers. And when I look back on my life, I find that the most influential people were the people that I was learning from. And so I just wanted to participate in that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I just kind of always was drawn towards education. But then I do think when, you know, being introduced to Gustavo Boal and Theater of the Oppressed, that really did put me on a path in theater that said theater can be experienced beyond just coming to see a play, which I think has immense value. I mean, I dedicate kind of my life to it at the moment, but the kind of initial thing for me was um, just getting the opportunity to see that in action. So when I left graduate school, my first professional job, I was a directing and casting fellow at the Shakespeare Theater company in Washington, DC. And mm-hmm. during that time of my fellowship, I, I started to really hang out with a lot of the education folks and see what they were up to. And I just kind of fell in love with what they were doing. And so my first kind of professional theatrical teaching gig was with a project called the Southeast Project, which was the Southeast quadrant of DC, which was often like, didn't have a lot of access to arts programming. And so we had a group of teenagers that would come over every Tuesday and Thursday after school to the Shakespeare theater company, and we would teach them Shakespeare. And, um, you know, that seems kind of crazy. One time I remember, this is really funny. I I went back to visit my, uh, where I went to grad school in Mississippi and, um, I was talking to a, a group of folks there and I said, you know, they were like, what are you up to? And I was like, Oh, I teach Shakespeare to inner city kids in DC. And, and, <laughs> and this guy said to me, Is that a come online? Are you trying to like date this woman that was sitting right there? And I was like, no, it's true. It's actually true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I thought that was really funny. But yeah, but it was really interesting. Like how much that like Shakespeare really explored the nature of being human, and how much these these Mm -hmm. young people could relate to the themes once we like studied it together and really broke it down. And there was amazing, remarkable things happened. I mean, there was this one young man who um, was in a lot of trouble. At school, you know, constantly kind of (laughs) in and out of suspension. And he had a really bad stutter. Mm. And because of that, he would often like get in fights. And that was a lot of the cause of the stuff that was going on at school. Well, if he got in fights at school, he Mm. couldn't come to the program. So that kind of, he stopped doing that. And then like when he got on stage and started speaking Shakespeare, his stutter went away. Oh, wow. It was just this remarkable moment. And and so I think that it was those experiences feel like, oh, this is something I really want to pursue. And then as I kind of kept going in D.C., I became um, associate artistic director at a place called Young Playwrights Theater, where we were working with kids in schools all over that city to write their own plays. And that also then led to an opportunity to take that program into uh, the juvenile detention system in D.C. That set off years of work for me, working with incarcerated youth uh, to tell their own stories uh, through theater.
1: So were you working with those kids to develop their own plays or to work with you know, classic and contemporary plays and do performances? We,
0: with the incarcerated youth? Yeah. So Yeah. Um, we did both. We did both. So one of the things that is really interesting about teaching playwriting to students who were in the incarceration system was just being able to talk about agency. So that as we're working on a play, they're, you know, of course Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of writing what might be considered like sensational things about their kind of experience where like there's a lot of violence that happened. There's a gang fight and all that. And so to be able to stop and go, okay, so what let's list together, like what happens when there's violence committed in the play? the play's over. Like there's no more conflict. There's no more dramatic tension. So the play's over. Mm -hmm. So, so is that a good choice to do right now? Or what's, what are the pros of having this moment of violence? What are the cons? And for this character, what are the pros and the cons? So we're Mm -hmm. talking about character the whole time. We're never talking about individual, you know what I mean? And, but, but there is that Mm -hmm. embedded kind of understanding. Oh, we're talking through what actually happens. And then we go, okay, so who's going to solve this problem? And the number of times where it would be, oh, his, the parents come and bail him out or the grandma or whatever. And and we were able to say, no, how does this character make a choice to solve the problem? You know, and like just talking through agency and character and choices. And so playwriting was really kind of a, a fun and sneaky way to talk about personal responsibility and just consequences, really. Because uh, in every play, there's a conflict and characters experience uh the mm-hmm. process of working through that conflict and it either ends positively or negatively, you know? And so it was a, it's just a fun way to, to work with, with those young people. And then after they wrote their own plays, then sometimes we would introduce, um, more classic plays and go, okay, well, how does this play then relate? Now that you know how plays work, how does this classic play relate to your life? What do mm. you see in it that is something you can relate to or that you have some perspective about? And that was always really fun. I mean, probably the most popular one um, that I use several times um, in the detention centers with Bello. Really? I mean, because they could understand. Yeah, yeah, they understood... Iago's anger for being passed over for you know because the play begins that mm. he doesn't get the promotion that he thinks he deserves and so he starts to enact this revenge. And then of course there's right. all like those the love triangle scenarios and where Iago's making Othello believe that he's being cheated on and so they love that. they're like, yeah, that's totally real <laughs> you know uh, so so that one always was really <laughs> popular and I think because it had to deal with the military and stuff like that it was just stuff that they could see themselves. So we did a lot of fun projects with Othello.
1: I love hearing that. I don't know that a lot of people who only remember... Shakespeare in particular from, you know, being in high school, could right. <laughs> say like, yeah, Othello. Othello. is a really, really cool story.
0: <laughs> That's true.
1: Were there any other plays that that kind of stood out as something that the kids really enjoyed or that you enjoyed working through? Um, yeah, I
0: mean, I think that that was the big one. And I think uh, we also uh, they really enjoyed Richard the Third because, again, that was about this power struggle. Mm. So we had fun with that one. And then we also did mm. Much Ado About Nothing a couple times. And um, that one was when we were really talking about language and comedy and humor and they you know mm-hmm. really related to that one because of just kind of like that battle of the sexes kind of humor um, and so that was always a fun and you know it was interesting with that play to see uh, the, the, the different reactions between you know the men and the women that were incarcerated have very different views Mm. of of those characters. Mm -hmm. It was really fun to talk through (laughs) that, yeah.
1: I bet. I don't
0: know, it was just always really fun to hear how they would relate it and then how some of that stuff would then, because we would always follow Mm. like reading a scene or something with personal reflection, like from your own life, how do you relate to this? And so to hear Mm -hmm. kind of the depth of what they would come up with, Um, you know, as like, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old kids in many cases, that was kind of the average for me um, was in the 15 age, just the the depth of the experience Mm -hmm. of their lives and and their insight that I don't think that people would give them credit for was always just fascinating how, you know, in Mm -hmm. many ways, they would teach me a ton about how to look at a play um, in ways that I hadn't thought about. So that was always exciting.
1: I bet. So what prompted you to to move on from, from D.C.?
0: Yeah, so um, I, I left D.C. and I moved to Austin, Texas um, to take a, a position at a place called Creative Action. And um, Creative Action mm-hmm. was um, a multidisciplinary arts kind of place. But their whole mission mm-hmm. was to use arts for social change. Um, so every program we did, every uh, after school workshop, just every single thing that happened at that, that organization was meant to to help kids live their lives, to use art, to inspire kids to see the world a different way. Largely, that was to build empathy, to talk about leadership, to talk about uh, critical thinking. And so that was always that was really exciting. And the primary thing I did there was, uh, you know, I was working in the juvenile detention system kind of when, you know, um, in D.C., like once or twice a year, we would go do that. Um, but in Austin, that was the primary focus of my work to work with mm. them. The corrections department there in Austin, so that's why I moved there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, that work is exciting and really fun, but it's also um, it's a lot. It's a it's a takes an emotional toll. It keeps you busy. Um, You see a lot of you see a lot of potential, and then of course you see a lot of recidivism. So people coming back mm-hmm. into the program and, you know, that was always like hard yeah. when, you know, you go three or three or four months and then you see a, a young person that you had been working with back. Um, and so it was always good to see them again. Um, but, you know, you know, you knew that something happened um, that brought them back there. And so that was really hard. So it's just an emotional toll. And so when the opportunity came um, up here, um, I thought, well, I'm ready for that. And I think that I've learned, mm-hmm you know to be totally honest i know that this is probably going to sound like it's almost like a a movie kind of like screenwriter moment but to be perfectly honest i think it was the working with those individuals that inspired me to to take the risk to move, you know, to go, I've been sitting mm-hmm. in this, this place talking about agency and courage and taking risks and being bold and following dreams. I've been, I've been saying that to all these kids. And so maybe, maybe it's time for me to listen to that and know that I have something to say as well mm-hmm. and, and to feel like I could be a, a valuable leader for this place. And then it was intimidating. Is intimidating because, you know, Raleigh Little Theater was founded in 1936. So there's just a lot yeah. of history here. Uh, a, a lot of history and, um, you know, that that can be very intimidating and it has been, but it's also been the source of so much beauty since coming here that, that I feel just really blessed and thankful to have been given the opportunity.
1: Have there been experiences that surprised you about being artistic director in this community theater?
0: One of the most beautiful things about this place is, is its deep and rich history. And, you know, the number of volunteers here that you meet that are, uh, that, that, that tell you the story of how they met their husbands on the stage or their wives, you know, like that, that is actually mm-hmm. a pretty common story. And now they've yeah. been married 20, 30, 40 years and uh-huh. they met here and they're still working here and they're still volunteering here. And that's yeah. been so beautiful. Like just the the stories that exist in this place are awesome. And as theater maker, that's what I respond to, is story. You know, I think that um, one something that's always hard, and I think it's hard at any institution you go in, but especially one with um, a history as rich as this one is, um, you know, just running up against, well, this is how things have always been done. And, you know, when you try to implement change, like, you know, it would just be uh, much easier to be able to implement that change and not have to explain it or describe it. <laughs> sure. um, so that, that was, that's been a little bit, not shocking, I would say, but something that I've had to learn personally to know that there's value in having a reason. And that if you have a reason that you believe in people, even if they say, well, we used to always do it this way. If you have a solid reason and, and a passion for what you're doing, that you can often recruit the folks to see your point of view. And that's been really good. And, it, and it's taught me to be very considerate of the ideas that I that I want to put forward and on and also to look at and find value in the everything that's come before me you know because there have been times when I've had an idea and then I have been And then I have had my mind changed by volunteers who have had more experience in the, in the, in whatever area it was that we were talking about. And that's been kind of exciting. It's it's exciting to me that this community at RLT is open to listening to ideas and to changing and, but also challenging your ideas. I mean, I don't want to be an artistic director that is a cult of personality. Um, I want to be an artistic director that really listens to the volunteers and the people who spend their time here. Because Raleigh Little Theater is a community theater. So most of the people that work here are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And if people are giving their time, which, as we all know, in this day and age, is like the most valuable resource, I think that they deserve to be listened to. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the best ideas have come from them. And um, I just always appreciate what people are willing to say to me. I disagree with that. And let's talk about why in a way that is caring about the organization moving forward positively. So that's been exciting. And I've also just been super impressed with Raleigh. Like Raleigh as a city has been really good for my family. Um, I have two young children and Raleigh's great for that. But also the artistic community here. There's so many theaters. There's a there's a lot of theaters, uh, companies that have sprung up here. Um, You know, I, I know back when RLT first started, it was kind of Raleigh Little Theater and Theater in the Park. There were only a couple of theaters around and now there's a lot. But the way that we all play really nice together and challenge each other and communicate with each other is just Mm. really great it feels really great to be in a community where artists even at different organizations just all have a deep passion for the art form and for what we're doing
1: so what are you kind of hoping for you know say like the next five years of your kind of tenure with Mm. Raleigh Little Theater um you know
0: we have we have work to do I mean I think as all organizations do we have more work to do on diversity and equity, and um, we are we are working very hard towards those goals of putting stories on stage that are more reflective of our entire community and not just one subset of the community. You know, we're we're, we're trying to break down walls that are perceived walls of who's who's invited to to work here and be on stage here. Like I am the first artistic director of color in the history of the company, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that. Is important to me that I don't take lightly mm-hmm. and uh so we're working on that and we're working on making th- the first phrase of our mission is that Raleigh Little Theatre is a welcoming place and so we really are working to live into that and, and, and that, that looks a lot of different ways it's not only the shows that we're programming and consideration of who is writing those shows but it's also making changes to our physical plant that are that are about accessibility and really finding ways to show that like everybody is welcome here it is your Community theater. It's a it's a local theater. It is for the people that live here, and and so we want everybody to have access. That means rethinking the way that we produce shows. Sometimes it means rethinking the types of shows that we produce. It means, you know, going and raising money so that we can make sure that the bathrooms are accessible, and and you know, just kind of in every area. That's what we're working on. And I would love it. I would love it if in five years that we were really seen as kind of a place that really exists for everybody. And you can come here and see a story and actors that look like you, and you 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 can come here and just access everything that's, that's offered here. Uh, meaning that you that just kind of no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances, you can come and build a show in our scene shop. You can make costumes in our costume shop, and you have access to all that stuff that, that we really diversify the people that are volunteering here. And we're already doing some good work on that. But I mean, I, that's, that's always what's in the forefront of my brain. And then I think just art, as an artist, like one of the things that Charles, our executive director, Charles Spaniff and I really believe is that, that, that for plays to be meaningful, not only is it about picking the right plays, but it's also having great conversations and being part of the dialogue around the plays. So, um, Catherine, you, you participated in a panel a couple of weeks ago for us with Measure for Measure. And those are the kinds of opportunities that mm-hmm. we want to keep offering, um, Like how do people, how do we talk with our community about the plays we're doing so that it isn't just passive, going back to Augusto Boal. Um, it's not just passive, but there are opportunities for uh, people to engage mm-hmm. with the content and to talk back with us about uh, w- about what mm-hmm. we're doing and how do we continue to push that needle forward using technology, social media, in-person stuff to give people an experience that's not just come sit and watch the play and then talk to your friend on the way home, which we love. Please do that. But also, how do we as an organization keep the conversation going if we really believe in the work, we're doing, mm-hmm. um, then we should offer opportunities for people to engage deeply with it.
1: Yeah. And that was such a fun experience to to be a part of. And I think you're, you're right that giving people space and just kind of the invitation to really engage with the material separate from just inside their own heads, but to do it with other people. I mean, it's part of what building mm-hmm. a common experience around art requires. So I am curious what... so in building out kind of your volunteer base and expanding it to areas of the Raleigh community that maybe are not as currently connected with the theater that are not representative of kind of like the full scope and diversity of the area. What does, what do those recruiting activities look like?
0: Well, I mean, I think that the heart of theater is about relationships. I mean, I think that when you come see a play, that's what you, that's what people respond to is the relationships that are happening on stage because we all have, as humans, we have the experience of living in relationship. And that is um, what compels us in a play. When when there's a conflict, we feel in relation to one character more than another, and then we want that character to win, right? And so that's interesting. And so I think when we, when we pull that kind of knowledge that we have about how plays work out into volunteerism in our work, then we know what's important is to build relationships. And so I, I think for a long time, theaters have just always... Maybe this isn't fair. In my experience, I'll own it for myself. Theaters <laughs> often want people to come to us. Uh, why don't you come here? And mm-hmm. I think it's time and we're kind of flipping here at a Raleigh Little Theater to really think about well, how do we get out and about? How do we go to where people are? And so uh we do that in in, in several different ways, you know, um attending festivals, uh, you know, having having visibility at festivals, just going out and talking to people. You know, because Raleigh Raleigh is great about like having all so many different cultural festivals and just opportunities to meet each other. And I love that about mm-hmm. this city. And so we are, we're often there. We're also expanding our education program. So um, for many, many years, our education mm-hmm. program existed only inside of the facility here um, near Cameron Village. But now we are in Wake Forest. We're in Wendell. We're in Nightdale. We're in Apex. Um, we're in North Raleigh, although that's not a different community. Some people think of it that way. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're really expanding our educational reach. So it's really trying to take more, mm. um, programming out into the community. And I, you know, I think that there's not, it's, it wouldn't be crazy to think at some point we would maybe even, you know, uh, production starts to travel right now. We do have a youth program. That puts um, that puts on a show. Um, and It's all acted by teens and that does travel around the community as well. So we're really trying to get out and uh, get into get some more school programming and just really getting uh, in front of folks that don't know who we are um, in a way that's meaningful so that we're not just, you know, we're not only just asking you to come back and consume our product, but we want to take uh, opportunities out to you. Um, and to your kids to have really positive arts experiences in classrooms and in community centers around uh, the county.
1: Well, yeah, I'm excited to see what how all that keeps on working for the next couple of years and where everything goes. Just to kind of wrap up our, our talk, I've loved hearing more about your background and your work with, with the Royal Theater, but everything that you also did before mm-hmm. that. But I would love to hear as a kind of final, final thoughts uh, about somebody or something that is currently inspiring you.
0: That's a great question, because I feel like I, I live in a place of constant inspiration <laughs> from people. Um, I mean, I, and, you know, uh, there's so many spaces to look around and, and, and people, I think, particularly artists to look around and, and find inspiration. in. so I, I, I do want to say generally, before I get specific, I really am sincerely inspired by the community that I live in. Like, I feel like Raleigh is rich mm-hmm. in diversity. It's robust. It's growing. That's all really exciting. Um, I think that there are amazing, um, theater companies here, uh, that are doing really, really exciting work and they are inspiring me and challenging me all the time to be better. Um, uh, so that's really exciting. Um, and I think, uh, to be specific about it, I find a lot of inspiration in my brother. So my brother was the, uh, you know, he, he was in that play. So he was the first one where I got the bite for Mm -hmm. theater and, um, my brother passed away in an auto accident a couple years ago, but I still can find, I find continued inspiration in him um, a because I just constantly want to make him proud. Cause he was also a theater director and um, I, I find that I oftentimes uh, work really hard to, to have the kind of aesthetic that he had, which I admired so much, but also he, he um, was really great at building community. People were drawn to him. He cared about people. Um, you know, he, he he in his work as a theater artist, he created spaces that people wanted to be engaged with. He created uh, experiences that people talk about, you know, since he passed, the number of people who have talked about how meaningful it was to be in a show with him or whatever and how they will carry that with them forever. Like, that inspires me. It's the idea that... Uh, Theater is about storytelling, but it is way more about affecting a community, building empathy, and making people see the world and each other differently, and and learning how uh, to participate in the world with critical thought and love kind of at the center. And I I think that he he was so good at that, and it's something that I aspire to for sure. making people feel um joyfully welcomed when they walk into the theater.
1: Patrick that's a beautiful tribute yeah. to your brother. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah,
0: and you know, uh, but <laughs> there's there is not a lack of people to be inspired by, you know. I
1: I find <laughs> I find
0: that I often get inspired by folks um outside of the theater world, you know? Mm-hmm. And we have met so many cool people. I said to Charles, again, it's our executive director. I said I actually said to him today, I was like, we get to meet the coolest people in the world because of the plays we're producing. Like, you know, who knew that, like, putting measure for measure mm-hmm. on the season mm-hmm. would introduce me to you? Uh, last year, we met this great community activist named James White, because mm-hmm. we were doing a world premiere play called Blood Don't Sign My Name. Um, And I can't tell you about the person we were talking about this morning Mm -hmm. because it's a surprise for our next season, which we're going to announce next week. Um, We're going to announce our next season, but there's already some some great, exciting conversations bubbling up around the content of the plays for next season. So it's just like, man, I get to meet the coolest people Mm -hmm. and I get so inspired by the work that everyone's doing to make our community a better place. And I just feel really grateful that Raleigh Little Theatre can be um, considered, uh, part of the voices, um, in the community that are making a difference.
1: Oh, I love that. And that is such the perfect yes. note to end the conversation, even though I know that I yes. will see you around <laughs> and I'm excited to see what, what the next season ends up uh, turning out to be.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, I, I thank you again for having me
1: and, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much, Patrick. That's it for this episode of the Longleaf Pod. I hope to share these conversations once a week and hope you'll join in next time. If you like this podcast, please share and subscribe. And if you have thoughts about the podcast or ideas about a person you think should be interviewed, you can find me on Twitter as at Kat Lawson. Thanks for listening.